0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We have a number of scripture readings from the Gospel according to Mark. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, first of all, to Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. One of the recurring themes in the Gospel according to Mark is this theme of the identity of of Jesus Christ, and that's what we'll see in all three of our readings as we walk through the gospel, ending at Mark 8, our text for this morning. So let's begin at Mark 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they cried out before him, uh, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. And I will go to Mark 4, beginning at verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And we turn over another page to Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. Just a number of verses there. Mark 6 at verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work at him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And finally, we turn to our text for this morning. Mark chapter 8, the verses 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning... In looking at the Gospel of Mark, in particular the text before us from chapter eight, we come before the identity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the beginning, it's a case of mistaken identity. Now, cases of mistaken identity happen to us all. sometimes they're embarrassing, but sometimes they can be very harmful. We all have stories about mistaking the identity of a new boss, so you're doing something at work and perhaps you're not supposed to be doing that, and suddenly you're introduced to the man or woman who is above you and who you would rather not have seen doing what you were doing, or you're at a social setting and you decide this is a good time maybe for an off-color joke, so you tell it. And then the person beside you introduces themselves as the pastor of the church next door or perhaps the new pastor in the one that you're in. Sometimes mistaken identity can be embarrassing, but you also realize that mistaken identity can be much more serious than that. One example of a mistaken identity that in fact turned deadly concerns not one person, but whole countries, is the case of Iran Air Flight 655, flight from Iran to the United Arab Emirates. It was in 1980 that a U.S. warship shot down a commercial airliner full of innocent civilians, killing everyone on board, crew and passengers. The reason? the U.S. warship had mistakenly identified that commercial Airbus for an F-14 Tomcat, a warplane that they thought belonged to the Iranian government, the Iranian revolutionary government. Mistaken identity in this case was disastrous and deadly and led to one of the greatest aviation disasters of all times. So there are some times when understanding identity and not mistaking that, is absolutely crucial. And there is no time and no identity more crucial to having right than the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus from Nazareth. And so our sermon this morning is all about the Lord Jesus asking the question, who do you say I am? Lord Jesus, in fact, calls the world to answer this question. Who do you say that I am? What is my identity? We'll see that he's misunderstood by most. And he is truly confessed by a few. But his call goes out, in fact, to the whole world. The Lord Jesus calls the world to answer the question, who do you say I am? He is, we see in our text here this morning, misunderstood by most. It is interesting, and we'll come back to this later within the sermon. It's very interesting that the Lord Jesus chose the region around Caesarea Philippi. This is in the north of, of Israel, or in what those days was known as the Roman province of Judea. It's very interesting that the Lord Jesus chose that area to reveal his identity. This is the first time that his disciples confess something about his identity. This was a region that was inhabited not by Jews, but in fact by Gentiles, by pagans, and by people with a very mixed religious history. This was a Gentile, a culturally Hellenistic or Greek area, Within Judea, but it was also a very religious region for much of Israelite history. You may remember the north, Dan, was where the calf, the golden calf, had been, where Israelites would go and worship what they believed was God, but was it what in fact was a false god, an idol? They had a history of idol worship. Now, after the Israelites had been removed, this area became famous for worshiping Pan, that Greek god, half man, half goat, the patron saint or patron god of shepherds. This was a shepherding pastoral region, and so they worshiped Pan. And then when Caesar Augustus came along, the people began to worship him, hence the name of their city there, Caesarea Philippi. They were devoted to Caesar for the gifts that he had given to the region, and they worshipped him. It was in this region that the Lord Jesus Christ decided to reveal his identity. These were people for whom the identity of Jesus Christ was going to be very important. They had followed the winds of change in searching out a savior, first a First, Baal, and then a golden calf, and then Pan, and then Caesar. No one had fulfilled their expectations, but one was among them who was the true Savior, their true hope. They were living in darkness, but soon the message of his identity would come to them. But when Jesus asks the question, who do people say I am? It's clear that he's talking about the Jews. His focus is on the Jews. They're really the only ones who are wrestling with that question. Well, they are wrestling with the question, but it seems as though truth is the one that is losing this fight. Among the Jews, and we saw that already in an earlier chapter in Mark, That the Jews are all wondering, who is this Jesus? And they're all guessing. And there's three guesses that become popular. First of all is John the Baptist. This is the one that Herod thought. Perhaps John the Baptist had risen from the dead. This thought terrified Herod. He was very superstitious. A lot of people in those days were superstitious. And there were these stories about people returning from the dead and taking vengeance on all their enemies after they did that they thought, perhaps this was John the Baptist doing just such a thing. Others believed that Jesus must be Elijah. Elijah, of course, was that great Old Testament prophet who had been swept away off of this earth by a fiery chariot. And so the people lived in expectation that Elijah himself would one day return. They thought Elijah was the one that the prophet Malachi had spoken of when he said, when he prophesied, the Lord said, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare my way, the, the way before me. Perhaps Jesus was as great as the prophet Elijah, Elijah himself, and he had come to prepare for the day of the Lord. Others believed that Jesus maybe was one of the prophets. There were times in Israel's history where the prophets loomed large. Isaiah was a famous prophet. He was held in high regard by the Jews. And the Jews understood that there had been a long silence from heaven. That prophecy, in fact, had ended in the land. But then they had seen John the Baptist come, and now Jesus was here. And he was speaking like a prophet. And so perhaps they thought, this is one of the prophets. Perhaps the Lord has returned to Israel. Perhaps the word of the Lord has returned. And one of the great prophets is among us today. And so these were the three guesses that people had about the identity of Jesus Christ. All very Jewish guesses. And all these guesses, if you sort of look closely at them and consider them for a while, they all have three things in common. Three things in common. First of all, they're all wrong. Jesus was none of those people. Second, however, they they all show a certain respect for Jesus. John the Baptist was respected as a preacher. Elijah was highly respected as a prophet. In fact, all of the prophets of the Old Testament were highly regarded. And so the people regarded Jesus highly. There was something special about what he had to say. There was something special about what he was doing. They couldn't deny it, and so they had a high respect for him. But third, these guesses of who Jesus is actually reflect more of the expectations of the people than they do the facts, the truth about Jesus Christ about who he really was and what he had really done. So they show a certain regard in one sense, but the people are are hesitant, scared, or resistant altogether to regarding Jesus in the way that what he's doing among them demands that he be regarded and that he be identified. You see, the kind of stuff, the kind of things that Jesus Christ has been doing in his ministry— goes far beyond what john the baptist had done it's way more than what elijah had ever accomplished even with all the miracles that elijah had done it's more than what any of the prophets had done sure in one way jesus christ came as a prophet he came to bring the word of god to the people in fact he was the word of god coming to the people But if you look at what Jesus Christ was doing among these very people who are guessing what he's doing, they're way off. What he's doing blows their expectations out of the water. If you march through the gospel according to Mark, and that's not to mention all the other gospels and the accounts that they have, you see that the Lord Jesus Christ, he had authority over evil spirits, evil spirits that could conquer and dominate a person he could just cast out just by speaking to them in fact they were afraid of him before he even got there he had authority over sickness he could make a sickness leave a person instantly the lord jesus christ we read in mark taught scripture authoritatively he taught scripture like someone that was coming right from inside scripture he taught scripture in a way that no one had ever heard or understood before. The Lord Jesus Christ confronted and healed the most violent and troublesome of people. You remember the demoniacs of the Gadarenes? He healed them. Everyone avoided them. They, they banished them to a place where no one lived because no one could live by them. They were so violent and wild and crazy. The Lord Jesus Healed them and restored them. There's more as well. As you go on through Mark, what Jesus Christ is doing just grows and grows. He raised a dead girl. He raised a girl from the dead. And he cured a hopelessly sick woman. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it keeps going. It doesn't stop there. He, he walked on water. He walked on water, pronounced himself as, I am, before his disciples. He stilled the storm just by speaking to it. If you've ever been out in the ocean, you understand how powerful just a little bit of wind is, and how large those waves can be. you ever been on a sea, like the Sea of Galilee, you see how quickly a storm can come up and how violent it can be. The Lord Jesus stilled that storm in an instant just by speaking to it. He was in charge of the waves. He's in charge of the wind. He's in charge of all the weather. And he healed a man born blind. Now clearly, the evidence is right there for the people to see. They're seeing this all with their eyes. They're hearing the reports with their ears. Clearly, Jesus is so much more than what they were expecting. He's so much more than what they were expecting. But even though the evidence is overwhelming, the people are not willing to let go of their preconceptions. They have their box, and they're going to fit Jesus into it. They're not going to expand their box to comprehend that perhaps this is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. They let their expectations dictate their identification of Jesus. What sort of expectations for who Jesus Christ is does our world have? There are probably many ways that we could answer this. But what are some of the the big ones? The expectations that our world has, the box that our world has made into which Jesus must fit in their minds. Well, in the West, we're comfortable. We've got a lot of prosperity And we did it all ourselves. We're self-assured. And so we'd rather have Jesus stay out of our business. We don't need you, thank you very much. We've done enough on our own. We've got prosperity. We're taken care of. Our life is comfortable. Please leave us alone. Or, if you don't quite have enough, then perhaps Jesus can come along and increase your material comforts. Maybe you can put him to work to give you more wealth and comfort. In the West, also, we're polite, and we like to think that we're tolerant. And so, as long as Jesus allows us to continue to be like this, then he's acceptable to us. Therefore, Jesus, in the popular mind, had better be fairly benign, not do anything too crazy or call anyone to do anything too crazy. He better be tolerant of the right things at any given time. He better be tolerant of gay rights. We better be tolerant of anything, really, especially unrepentant sinners. And he better be absolutely removed from anything political, because we couldn't handle that. We fit Jesus into our box, into our preconceptions. And we're not the only ones to do this. The Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet. Why? Because that fits in their box. The Buddhists will agree that Jesus was a great teacher because that doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything for them. They can appreciate a good teacher and what he has to say. A world or a person that will not examine the evidence for who Jesus is is one that will always mold him to fit inside the box of its preconceptions, of its expectations. Even even if it's to their great loss. If we start with what we want and make him fit our preconceptions, we will always, just as the people in our text, always mistake his identity. And as a result, we'll miss the glorious consequences that there are for us. And we'll receive the miserable consequences that come as a result. The identity of our Lord Jesus Christ was mistaken and continues today to be mistaken by many. It becomes clear, though, in our text that the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't simply fishing for some information on himself like you might do today by just Googling your name or something like that, finding out what people are saying about you. No, Jesus' first question was really moving toward the second question. He moves from the general, and he shows us where he's headed. He doesn't want to just stay with the general. He wants to get specific. And so he puts the question to his disciples specifically, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Now it's it's actually really striking that up to this point this question has not been discussed but this is a huge theme in mark who is jesus the demons know who he is and they say the father in heaven knows who he is and he says but no people seem to know in fact when they try to guess as we've already seen they're mistaken But yet this question has been burning in the mind of the disciples. The question takes us back to chapter 4, verse 41, when when Jesus faced the wind and he rebuked the waves. And they asked each other, who is this? The question was right there before him in his identity. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They had been eyewitnesses to his miracles. They had been eyewitnesses to his authority, to his power, and they could not escape the question. At one point, they would have to confront it. Who is this? Who is this man before us? This is the question that comes before all who will bring themselves before the evidence. All who will come to Scripture at one point or another You cannot avoid the question, who is Jesus? And so Jesus asked the question deliberately. He's going to go on later to explain the consequences of knowing who he is. And that's going to be the focus of our text, the next section, in two weeks' time. The consequences of his identity as Christ and as the Son of God. But here and now, before he gets to the consequences, the Lord Jesus Christ challenges disciples, who am I? Notice the order. It's not consequences. It's not preconceptions first and then identity. No, it's identity first, consequences after. The evidence is right there. You have to come before who is Jesus Christ, regardless of what that is going to mean for you, For your life, for the world, you must face the fact, who is Jesus? If we start with our preconceptions, we will get him wrong. But if we come before the evidence, we will get it right. He is Jesus. He is Christ. He is God. He is who He is. There is no changing Him. And it's for us to accept and to believe in Him and to commit ourselves to Him as He is. Now, after Jesus puts the question to the disciples, Peter, the spokesman for the group, responds. And he responds with a confession of truth and of faith. And he says, you are the Christ. And in the Gospel according to Matthew we see in his confession that he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter reveals that he gets it. That the evidence before his eyes has been working on his heart. that The spirit has opened up his heart to allow him to understand who Jesus is. He recognizes something of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he recognizes even more than we might want to give him credit for. When Peter calls Jesus the Christ, he's calling him the Anointed One, the Messiah. Messiah, Anointed One, Christ, all mean the same thing. And that word has a rich history in the Old Testament. There were three types of people who were anointed, prophets, priests, and kings. All three of them had special tasks that the Lord gave them. And this was a task that the Lord Jesus Christ came for all three of them to fulfill. Now, the particular task that was in the minds of most people in this time was the task of king. The title Christ most particularly referred to the position of king. The the people believed, well, the Old Testament said that the Christ would come, this great king would come, and he would defeat the powers of evil. Now, the people in those days just assumed that the powers of evil were the Romans. And so they thought that the Christ was going to come and conquer the Romans, drive them out of the Holy Land, and establish a renewed kingdom, just like David had done before. But Peter, having witnessed what Jesus Christ has done, is willing to go where no one would go and confess that Jesus is the Christ, and more, that he's the Son of the living God. Now, you might ask, why doesn't it say that here? Why doesn't Mark say that Christ is the Son of the living God? Well, we don't know for certain, but it's quite possible that there's a certain humility going on here. It's fairly widely accepted that the Apostle Peter is the source for the Gospel of Mark that Mark was a protege of Peter, and that Peter passed along to Mark all that's in the gospel according to Mark about the Lord Jesus. And it's quite likely then that Peter is showing a certain humility about himself, and especially in light of what happens in just a few verses when he gets rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ, that humility would be necessary you can see this in other ways in the gospel of mark but that's probably what's going on but from the parallel passage in matthew we know that peter did speak this confession that he's the christ the son of the living god now some in fact would want to say peter must have misunderstood he must have had a low idea of what christ meant here But in fact, it seems Peter had the highest idea, a very high idea of what Christ means. Because later, when Jesus says that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die, Peter says, no, Lord, that cannot happen. Why would he say that? Because he has this vision of Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. This is not someone who should suffer and die. He is powerful. He can put his enemies to death in an instant. And so Peter rebukes Jesus when he starts talking about suffering and dying because of this high view of the Christ that he has. And so Peter confesses, you are the Christ. You are the King. You are the Son of the Living God. Jesus puts the question and Peter responds, beautifully he's been faced with the evidence his eyes have been opened by the lord and he makes the beautiful confession Let's not worship peter but let's notice the significance of what he says this is the first time that someone a person a human being has taken on their lips such a confession about jesus christ and let's notice the the character of this confession it's based on the truth he can't deny it. It's based on the truth of what he's seen. And let's also notice that this confession swims against the stream. Everyone, no one else was willing to give Jesus this kind of credit to say that he was the Christ himself, the Son of the Living God. Jesus isn't. Uh, Peter isn't worried about the preconceptions of everybody else. He's going to go with what he's seen and heard. It's not about what everybody else thinks. It's about what's true. And he cannot deny it. Let's also notice that this truth of who Jesus Christ is stirs in Peter faith and devotion. When you come face to face with the identity of Jesus Christ, when you come face to face with who he is, and you believe it, then it leads to accepting, to committing yourself to him in devotion. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what we need to be willing to do. We need to be willing to come face to face with the truth. We must let Scripture, we must let the truth of what has been revealed about Jesus Christ guide us in identifying Jesus Christ. We must base ourselves on truth. And we have to follow that wherever that goes. Even if that means swimming against the stream. Even if that means everyone else thinks... we're morons, we're idiots who would believe that kind of stuff. Even if it means going against what's acceptable or even what's tolerated in society, we must confess the truth. And finally, coming face to face with that confession, we must be faithful and devoted to Him. If He is the Christ then He is the Christ. He is our Lord. And our lives are His. So this is the challenge before all of us this morning. Will we confess Him as the Christ and the Son of the living God? But this challenge doesn't stop here. And in fact, it doesn't stop just with the disciples and with Peter in our text. Surprisingly, and indeed, it is surprisingly, there's all sorts of different opinions about what's going on here in verse 30 when Jesus warns them not to tell anyone about him. He tells them to be quiet. Don't let this confession get out. Don't let everybody else know. Why would he tell his disciples that? And is that the message for us today as well? Is this how we're supposed to respond? Actually, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, you see that this command to be quiet happens other times as well. He says it to the demons. He says, don't spread this word about who I am. What's the point? Why does Jesus say this? Well, it seems to be that Jesus is concerned that the word doesn't get out because of the misconceptions that are out there about what it means to be the Christ. And that happens to him, doesn't he? As he's going into Jerusalem, people are hailing him as the king. They think, here's the great conqueror who's going to drive out the Romans. He doesn't want people to get the wrong idea about what it means that he's the Christ. And he's going to, right after our text this morning, in the next number of verses, tell them what it means for him to be the Christ. Not driving out the Romans, but suffering and dying. That's what it means for him. He doesn't want the word to get out until his mission is accomplished, until he has suffered and he has died. And so the question is, is this identity still a secret for us? Well, no. No, it's not, because it's mission accomplished by Jesus, the Christ. He's accomplished his mission through his suffering and death, and now he calls the whole world to come face to face with who he is, with his identity. When Jesus dies, it's a Roman centurion that recognizes what's happened and says prophetically, surely this man was the son of God. It's a Roman centurion, the first one to say, surely this was the son of God. And the whole gospel of Mark is formed around this question, who is Jesus? So that this gospel can go out into the world and the whole world can be faced with the question, who do you believe Jesus is? That's why it matters that Jesus went into this area, this pagan area, and there for the first time drew out the confession from his disciples that he was the Christ. That's why it matters that Jesus first asked, who do people say that I am? So he could blow apart their preconceptions. His identity is not to remain a secret. Rather, it is to go out into all the world to those who are mistaken about him, and to those who are living in darkness completely about his identity. The whole world must come face to face with the truth of who Jesus is. This then, brothers and sisters, is our mission. This is our calling to bring the message of who Jesus is to the world and to present the question, who do you believe that he is? The world must know him. Whether they will accept him or not, that is not for us to tell. But the church's task is to bring the good news that Jesus Christ is the king, that he's the son of the living God, and that he has suffered and died for the sins of all those who will put their faith in him. And so we must do this. We must seek out opportunities to do this. And this fall, we have an excellent opportunity to do this with the Christianity Explored initiative that our church will be hosting. The very first question in Christianity Explored is, who is Jesus? They take some time to explain who he is as Scripture reveals him. It would be a great place to bring a friend, to bring a coworker, to bring a neighbor, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Building relationships with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your friends is a great way to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Talk to them about him. Do they understand who he is? Have they ever considered the evidence for his life? For his work on the cross. Or are they living in blindness? Or are they living with a box, a preconception about him that they're as yet unwilling to change? Bringing friends to a worship service is an excellent opportunity to introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where the gospel is proclaimed every week. This is a good place to come and to hear about the person of Jesus Christ and come face to face with the evidence for who he is. Being engaged in teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, raising up our children, teaching them the doctrines of scripture that they might know who he is. Reaching out to others and teaching them about who he is, where we have opportunity, is an excellent way to introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ. You might invite someone in two weeks' time, when we consider, now that we know who Jesus is, what has Jesus come to do? What has Jesus come to do in this world? And so Jesus Christ is revealed in Scripture. He draws out of us the confession, and he calls us to go into the world with the gospel of his identity. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.